0: Well, it's wonderful to be able to be with you, and uh, it's always good to be able to come back home again and to be back up in this part of Minnesota. We don't uh, get up here as often, but uh, in Minneapolis a lot, and the opportunity to interact with the FCA churches uh, across the country and in the role that, uh, that I'm in now also gives me an opportunity to continue to be in contact with our mission staff around the world. And so uh, able to see sort of that bigger picture of what God's up to. And I have to tell you, he is doing some incredible things through his church, in EFCA churches across America, and literally around the world through so many of the partners that our Reese Global staff work with. Becky and I leave in a couple of weeks to be with our Latin America and Caribbean Division missionaries. We'll be down in Central America for a few days speaking to them, and the opportunity just to encourage what God's doing in the hearts of people. So to be able to be a, a part of a Sunday with you is an encouragement to Becky and me. We always love, we just love getting out and being with people. In fact, it's opened a little window for you in my heart. Um, when they were talking to me about the possibility of taking this role, one of the questions that I asked them is I said, Now, you just need to know if, you're, if you want to hire somebody to run an office, I could do that, but it would kill me. My heart is to be a part of a movement of gospel-centered churches that is seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ change people's lives and communities. And we do that best by being out with people. And so being able to be with you is a great encouragement to us to be able to do that. Well, let me pause. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to look into the Scriptures. Um, As Mike mentioned, for almost 25 years, I was senior pastor of a couple of EFCA churches, one in southeast Minnesota, down in Winona, and for a dozen years in San Jose, California. And honestly, uh, I'm a pastor at heart. When I was traveling Africa, many of the African leaders would ask me, what do you want us to call you? And I said, the highest call anyone can give me is to call me Pastor Kevin. Because to be a part of ministering the word of God among God's people, that is an incredible privilege. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, now I would ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, would do what you do so profoundly well, so wonderful, that you work in our hearts to teach us the truth of your word that we desperately need through the teaching, ministry, and the empowerment of your Holy Spirit in the context of redemptive relationships with the people of God in the church. And it's out of that that you grow and shape us. And so we come today from a variety of different places in life. There are different issues going on. Some of us are in a very good place. Some of us are in a challenging place. And we just want to acknowledge we said all of that before you. And we ask, oh, Lord Jesus, please would you teach us today and would you change us for we pray in Jesus name amen so let me ask you a question how do you feel when you turn the news on in the evening and you see what's going on in the world what what does that do in your heart I find that the more that I've had the opportunity to, to travel to different places in the world and the more that I then, as a result of that, hear what's going on in the world, there are days I don't even want to turn the news on. I, I don't know about you, but there are days I'd prefer not to. And then, and then I have this little app on my phone that keeps shooting news headlines to me. And there are times I want to just shut the stupid thing off because they're hard. I mean, whether it is tragedies in places like Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or Saint Paul, Minnesota, or Dallas, Texas, or more recently, just even the last several days in France and Germany. You know, I think the one that one of the one of the ones recently that's really grabbed my heart was when I read about families watching fireworks in Nice, France. And they're just mowed down by someone in a truck, and and my, and my heart was just, oh my goodness, what kind of world do we live in today? What what's happening? And and, and then I step back and I look at, at at our personal lives, and I recall those times. I. In fact, I, I remember it so clearly. I was, I was sitting in the living room of the elder chairman of our church down in Winona, Minnesota, and I was a pastor there. 1.15 in the afternoon, and the phone rang, and it was a message saying that one of our elders who was traveling home from a fishing trip in Canada to be home for an elder meeting that night had driven all night and was in a head-on crash with a semi and was instantly killed. Two teenage children... And about two years later, 7.30 in the morning, the phone rang one of our elders. Kevin, I just want you to be prepared. And he described to me how a retired couple in our church, unbeknownst to anyone, had made an agreement that if one of them had a terminal illness, they wanted to die together. And he walked into the hospital and took his wife's life and took his own life and they were members of our church. Wow. Some of you asked me this morning, I had a couple of you come up to me and you said, so aren't you the guy whose whose son had cancer and we prayed for him? Just on Becky's behalf and mine, can I tell you thank you? you see, we did get that phone call. Kevin, are you sitting down? You never want to have a doctor say that to you. Never. Are you sitting down? And she went on to describe how our son had osteosarcoma, a form of bone cancer. And, and I want to thank you for praying for him because it was one of the most difficult journeys for us, and yet we saw the hand of God everywhere. Thank you. So, so whether it's, it's looking at the news and wondering if the world is totally collapsing around you or whether you look at your own personal life and wondering if, if your personal life is collapsing around you, where do you turn during those times? What do you do? Now here's what I want to share with you today. Friends, no matter how things may appear, no matter how things may appear, God is in control. He's present with you. And he is victorious. I just want you to know, no matter what, if it's a tragedy you see in the news and you wonder, where's our country going? Where is the world going? If it's something in your own life that is collapsing, I want you to know, no matter how it appears, God is in control. He's present with you. And He will be victorious. I want you to grab your Bibles and I want you to turn with me to the Old Testament, to one of my favorite Old Testament stories. It's in the book of Daniel, chapter 6. And and I love this. I, I don't know how, how many of you grew up in the church. If you grew up in the church and you're about my age, you you probably had one of these these really cool old Bibles that had a zipper around uh, around it. It wasn't a cover. It was the whole Bible had like this zipper cover around it, and it had it had pictures in it. And I always loved the pictures. Any book with a picture you can read faster, so that's not a bad thing. But I enjoyed the pictures. And in this Bible I had, there was a picture of the scene we're going to read about. In Daniel chapter 6. Let me start reading in verse 1 of Daniel 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one. To whom those satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. And then this Daniel became distinguished among all the other high officials and satraps. Because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and satraps and the counselors and governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document, So that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And therefore, King Darius signed the document and the judgment. Now I want to stop there. We'll come back to the text in a moment. But I want you to see as we look at this very familiar Bible story, and please hang in there with me. I know sometimes if the scripture is really familiar, you can check out. Don't do that with me. Because what we find in in Daniel chapter 6 is there's just been a major governmental shift, a governmental change. What's happened is the old king was overthrown in the end of chapter 5, and if you read chapter 5, it's that incredible account of Daniel interpreting the handwriting on the wall, where this hand appeared and wrote on the wall, and he interpreted and basically said, King, you're going to lose your kingdom tonight, and the king then rewarded him with a whole bunch of stuff, and sure enough. He lost his kingdom, and we find in chapter 6 a new regime. Having appointed 120 regional leaders, and over those regional leaders, three people, one of whom was Daniel. And you need to understand at this point, Daniel is not a young man. Daniel's in his mid-80s. And why I think Daniel and the book of Daniel is so important to us today is we tend to believe that, you know, we look at the world around us and we say everything is coming unglued and the moral fiber and fabric of America is falling apart. And we say, has it ever been this bad? And I say, read the book of Daniel. Because Daniel and his friends were taken from their own homeland and they were brought to a foreign land where they were forced to learn they were forced to learn sorcery and all kinds of stuff. The occult, basically, they were forced to learn that kind of stuff. And they lived under the thumb of a very oppressive kingdom. And yet when you read in, Daniel, in, in Daniel's account, Daniel and his three friends stood strong to what they believed were the things of their God. And in the midst of it, they didn't give up, even though they were living in this very corrupt and very secular, in fact, very irreligious as far as Christianity or any sense of the real God kind of a culture. And yet they stood strong. And you see, friends, life can often seem out of our control. People can oppose us. The values we hold are threatened and what we count on seems to fade away in life. Sometimes we step back and we go, this is unfair. (laughs) You know, 10 days after I started as the president of the EFCA, 10 days, the U.S. Supreme Court released its ruling on same-sex marriage. And I want to go, welcome to your new job. What, what does this mean to the church? And, and, and some of what I saw, in fact, I ended up, I actually, I, I don't do a lot of writing, but I wrote a piece that went out to our churches because of this. What I was seeing among the Christian community around America was a response of anger and fear. Anger because someone stole my country. Somebody stole the place I thought was mine. And fear wondering, is everything going to go fall down around me? And yet when you look at a response that's a Christ-like response, it's not one of anger and fear. It's one of grace and truth. It's speaking the truth. You speak it graciously. It's never waffling on what's right, but you do it with the love of Christ. And when I see in Daniel chapter 6, this man who's in his mid-80s, who's lived through multiple different kings and regimes. And if you look in the text that we read, God had his hand upon him in a profound way. It said he had an excellent spirit in him, that he was a leader in the government and no one could find anything wrong with him. Wouldn't you love to have political leaders in America where people would say, wow, we can't find anything wrong with him. We can't find anything wrong with her except his or her faith. And so what did they do? They said, if we're going to get anything on this guy, then we have to have it something to do with his faith and his trust in his God. And so they went to the king, and if you read the text, you'll look a little more closely. They go to the king, and what do they say? They say, all of the leaders have agreed that you should do this. Do you think Daniel agreed to that? I don't think so. He's one of the three top guys. He didn't agree. They lied blatantly. They went and they they put this in front of the king saying, if you will do this, have everyone pray to you, then you'll really connect all these people in this new kingdom and they'll know they'll have to go through you to get to God. Wow, they'll pray to you. What a deal. And he fell for it. And it says in the end of verse 9, he signed the document. He signed the injunction. You ever wonder what Daniel was thinking when he got word of it? I wonder what he was thinking. Do you know, we probably have a pretty good idea of what he was thinking. Not because we read his words, but because we see his actions. What did he do? Look with me at verse 10. And when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He found out about it. He didn't hide, he didn't deny it, he didn't go to the king and go, what in the world are you doing? He didn't go to the other leaders and say, you scoundrels, you told the king that I agreed to this and I didn't. He didn't say anything. What did he do? He continued to live out his faith. The spiritual disciplines that kept him strong in his walk with Christ. He was time in the word and in prayer. And he did it openly and publicly like he had always done. He didn't change his walk of faith. I think part of courage for us in living in a day where we're seeing the world beginning to change around us is that we must say, no matter how it appears... God is in control, He's with me, and He will be victorious. And so in light of that, I continue to live my faith out just like I always have, even if the world around me changes. And so what happens next? You know the story. Look at the next verses. The men came by agreement. They found Daniel making petition and a plea before his God. Can you imagine? They must have been kind of sitting just looking. Can you, can you believe that? I mean, I would think they're like, we know he's going to do this. You know what I love about Daniel chapter 6? They said the only way we're going to trap him is with going after something with his God. They knew he would do it, and he was faithful, and he did exactly what they thought because his faith was that secure, that strong, his commitment that deep. And so what did they do? Verse 12. They came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man without, uh, within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. And then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And look at the king's response. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. I wish I had a photograph, just even a still shot, of the king's face. <laughs> Daniel? Oh, wow. Can you imagine? The king's going, oh, why did I do that? This is like my best leader. He's distressed. If you read the text, he does everything he can to try to free him. He realizes he can't. And so the text continues in chapter chapter 6, verse 16. And then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. Now, lest you think the den of lions is this nice little picture that was in the Bible that I told you about with the little zipper cover that I had, which was Daniel standing in this nice flowing robe with his hand on one female lion and a male lion laying there kind of looking up at him with this very much kind of kitty, kitty, come and pet me kind of look, you know, and in, in, in his face. What this was, this was, a, this was basically a pit, a hole in the ground with a big rock that they rolled over it. They had lions in it and they didn't feed them. I've been all over Africa. I have watched lions in the wild feed on wild animals. It is not pretty. When they're hungry, they're stinking hungry, and they go after what's there to eat. So we have a hungry bunch of lions open the, the opening, and they didn't probably nicely lower Daniel in. My guess is they just pushed him and he fell down in. And the king says this. May your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and the signet of the lords that nothing might change concerning be changed concerning Daniel. And then the king went back to his bedroom and he couldn't sleep. Netflix didn't help. His, you know, his, his iPod didn't help. Nothing helped. He couldn't sleep. The next morning, verse 19, at the break of day, the king rose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out, and notice this, in a tone of anguish, assuming he would hear nothing. O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, O oh, king, live forever. Can you imagine how that perked the king's ears up? It's like, oh my goodness, I figured all I'd hear is roaring lions down there. O oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they've not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. The rest of the story is interesting in that the king immediately tells people, pull Daniel up out of the lion's den. And then I think for two reasons, one probably to prove that the lions actually had not been overfed the night before and to keep himself from any reprisal from the extended family of these other leaders, he had the leaders that had made the accusations against Daniel thrown into the lion's den along with their families and it says they were devoured before they even hit the floor. And then we read in the end of Daniel 6 these words, in verse 25, King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. From the mouth of a pagan king came words of praise to the living God. Because one of God's choice servants, no matter if life seemed to be out of control and people opposed him and the values he held dear were threatened and he was wondering what would happen to him, he stayed true to his values, his commitment and his walk of faith and he realized no matter how it may appear, God is still in control. He is with me and he is victorious. And Daniel's life. No matter how it may appear, who was in charge? Was it Darius the king? I think not. It was God. Because even Darius said, may the God whom you serve rescue you. And the next morning, oh Daniel, has your God been able to save you? king, live forever. Uh, God sent an angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. Does that remind you of something else in Daniel chapter three? Three friends of Daniel's would not down to a golden image. They were thrown into a fiery furnace and the king looked in the furnace and what did he see in there? Four men. The angel of the Lord and the three men. And with their lives and the life of Daniel and the king recognized in his, in his letter to the people that God is a living God, that he endures forever, that his kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall have no end. And here's what I know: Is it no matter how the world looks around us, no matter what laws are passed or no matter what difficult issues face us, God is still in control. He is with us. And I've read the end of the book, my friends, and he wins. And so do we. Okay? He's victorious. You know, I've, I've, I have so many just amazing little stories from my time in Africa that just so, so speak to this. Because... Because in reality, when I look and I see what God's been doing in the hearts and lives of people, um, I I was actually, I'm just going to tell one or two real quick ones because it just, it so resonates with my soul. Palm Sunday, four years ago, Palm Sunday early in the morning, I'm in a car, a friend of mine is driving, and we're going from Accra, the capital of the country of Ghana, toward the Togo border into the part of Africa where voodoo originated. You think of Haiti as the place of voodoo? My friends, West Africa is where Haiti voodoo came from. This is the heart of voodoo country, and I was going there to preach at a church plant. And so we're on our way to this church plant, and, and it, uh, this is just a side note. It was one of the most incredible services I've ever been a part of. This was a group of people meeting under a tarp in a tent with some benches that they pulled out of a trailer. And they had all been delivered out of the darkness of voodoo, and you have never seen pers- people worship with such joy ever. Ever. They'd been delivered from darkness into the light. It was incredible. On my way to that church, my phone rings. I had an African phone, a SIM card, and I I answer the phone, and it's my friend, Dr. Nuponga, who's the president of the Evangelical Seminary in Central African Republic in Bangui. He's a Congo Free Church guy. He has a Ph.D. in Old Testament. He's writing commentaries and books. He's one of the preeminent evangelical Old Testament scholars in Africa. And he called me Palm Sunday and he says, Kevin, you have to pray for us. I said, why do I need to pray for you, Nupanga? And then I heard why in the background. I heard a hand grenade go off in the street. I heard machine gun fire behind him. He he said, Kevin, we're in the middle of a military coup in the capital city. And, and I don't know what's going to happen. You hear it. There's guns and hand grenades and mortars going off. And people are flooding into the compound of the of the seminary. And Bangi is a city of about 60% Islamic people. And they're flooding into the seminary. He says, pray that God would keep us safe. Pray that we would have opportunity for the gospel among these people that don't know Jesus as they flee into him, be among us. I said, Nupanga, how are you? Are you Okay. He said, Kevin, I'm fine, but but what's in my heart is the words of the king in the Chronicles where he looked in prayer and he said, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And his phone went dead. And I'm thinking, they just blew him up. My friend. And so I... Frantically calling back, calling back, calling. He's not answering, not answering, not answering. I went to this church, I preached in this service, and all the while in the back of my mind, I'm praying for New Ponga, for all these people. And literally, there were like 15,000 people that fled onto this, onto this seminary campus in the midst of this civil war. And so about midnight that night, I thought, I have to try again. And I called, and he answered his phone. I said, Nuponga, what's going on? He said, Kevin, you won't believe it. This coup is still going on. There's people sleeping everywhere on our campus. We've, we're, people are trying to bring food for folks. And the believers are here and they're sharing Christ with people like crazy. And I looked at him. I said, That's wonderful. And I'm praying for you. But what happened? Why did your phone go dead? I thought you were dead. Oh, he said, my cell phone ran out of battery. I'm sorry. (laughs) Man, I wanted to buy him three batteries for his phone. It was just killing me. But what I saw was a man who saw his whole world suddenly go upside down and who said, Lord, my eyes are on you because no matter how it looks, you're still in control and you're with us and you are victorious. I learn more about faith from people that have nothing except Jesus. And he's more than enough for them. I shared in the Sunday School Hour about our partner in West Africa, the Evangelical Free Church of West Africa. 2006, there were 10 churches in the country of Liberia. Today, there's 150, plus 50 in three adjoining countries. Their plan is 300 churches in the next five years, and some of them are talking 510 years as they're planting churches. But what you will never read, and what you'll never hear on CNN, and you'll never read in the New York Times, is that it was in the midst of the Ebola crisis that the Lord sovereignly, years before, through the church in Liberia, ministering to refugees that had flooded into their country, and seeing Islamic people come to faith in Christ and discipling them and growing them as leaders, and they went back home and planted churches in their communities. It was those communities that were the center of the Ebola outbreak. And it was the church that ministered to people with Ebola like no government could. It was the church that brought brought medical care, community health training, and the gospel. And in the midst of the Ebola crisis... People came to Jesus and churches were planted. You didn't hear that on CNN or Fox News or something, did you? But you know what? It's because no matter how things look, God is in control, He's with us, and He will be victorious. Do you believe that? I do. And so what do we we learn from Daniel? You know what we learn is that God's call to us is to trust Him and to obey Him no matter what the outcome may be. To trust Him, to obey Him, and to trust Him for the future every bit as much whether we know the outcome or not. Because faith is the assurance of things hoped for, things that we don't yet see, but we trust in our God. So, so what did Daniel do? The decree came down, he trusted, he obeyed, no matter the situation, no matter the outcome. It's like the apostles in Acts chapter 4 verses 19 and 20 after they had been brought in in front of the Sanhedrin, and they had been told, don't you talk about this Jesus. What does it say in in those verses? Peter said to, and John said to them, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have heard and what we have seen. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter and the other apostles again replied to them, we must obey God rather than people. And so when your life seems to be going out of control, and maybe it's a job-related issue, or maybe you're concerned about what's going on in our country and culture, maybe it's a personal issue. You may have gotten that call from a doctor or, a friend or your, one of your parents or a close friend. Somebody is just mourning. They're so broken in their spirit. And so, what's his call to us? Is that even when your life seems to be out of control, remain faithful, remain trusting, remain obedient, continue to live your walk of faith like you've always walked your walk of faith. Because no matter how things appear, God is in control. He's present with you, and he will be victorious. One of my good friends who I served in Reach Global with for a number of years, his name's Phil Arndt. Phil led a division of our mission called the Global Equipping Division, and they, they trained national leaders worldwide. Honestly, I can say in my lifetime, I have never met a human being that had more connections to and influence in the lives of major national leaders around the world as my friend Phil Arndt. And a little over two years ago, he came back from a long training trip overseas and he lived in Spokane, Washington. He landed there, went to his home. His wife had been out at a doctor's appointment, came back, walked in the house, and Phil looked at her and he asked, And who are you? Uh, she thought he was kidding. And then then instantly she thought, he's, he's just had a stroke. She called 911. They rushed him to the hospital. They did an MRI. He had no stroke. But he had a large malignant brain tumor. And, and I watched this man and his wife walk the journey of trusting Jesus, whether he would heal Phil or not, of trusting Jesus, when in, in, on the one hand they said, Lord, wh- why, would, why would you take Phil now when the open doors for the gospel and training of leaders are so big and so many opportunities for the gospel? Why would you do that now? And, and, and we just have two brand new granddaughters and our, and our, and our daughter-in-law is pregnant with a third grandchild. Why now? And yet in the midst of that, in their, in their flesh, they're going, oh, we, we don't want it to go like this. And yet in their spirits and in their hearts, what I saw was, Lord, we trust you. And so ten months after his diagnosis, my friend Phil was ushered into the presence of his Savior with great joy in heaven and great sadness here. But I have watched his wife Peggy and the entire team that he led continue to pursue trusting and obeying in our God because they understood no matter how life appears, God is still in control. He's with us, and he will be victorious. And I look forward to the day. I'm going to have to elbow people to get close to him probably. I look forward to the day in glory when I get to see my friend Phil because he will be surrounded by people who are in heaven because of the influence he had on leaders all around the world. Do I understand All of the issues, the whys, the winds, the timing and all, I don't understand that. But what I do know is God's call to me and to you is to trust Him, to be obedient to Him, to live lives of faith that are filled with grace and truth because no matter how life appears, God is in control. He's present with us. And he will be victorious. Father, I ask now that your spirit would just bring that home to our hearts. And Lord, for all I know, there are people we're going to meet this week that need to hear those words. And would you open opportunities for us to share with them as well. And may your Spirit minister deep to our souls as we trust and obey. Amen.